0: Hello, and welcome to the November 28, 2023 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music and I share with you what has currently caught my interest. Old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer, dead and gone, to discuss their music and or recordings. Now, with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is jazz vocalist Lucy Yegazarian. Lucy Gazarian is an American-Armenian vocalist who has become a leading voice in American straight-ahead jazz by bringing the real richness of her heritage together with her love for the ultimate American art form. She is a recipient of grants from the Doris Duke Foundation, Chamber Music America, and the New York Foundation for the Arts. She has shared the stage with Harold Mayburn, Houston Person, Grant Stewart, Terrell Stafford, Bernadette Peters, Arturo Tungboyan, and many more. She regularly works with the Emmett Cohen Trio and can be found performing in and outside of the United States with regular appearances at Jazz at Lincoln Center, Birdland, Mesro, Symphony Space, and more. She was a top 10 finalist in the 2015 Thelonious Monk competition and holds a degree in world history in addition to being a skilled classical violinist. Her debut album, Blue Heaven was released in 2019 on Cellar Live Records and was followed by the album In Her Words on La Reserve Records in 2021, which was sponsored by the Woman's Fund of NYFA. Her third album, Lonely House, was released in late 2022. Lucy Yegazarian grew up in post-Soviet Armenia and began listening to her father's once contraband collection of jazz records at a young age. Electricity was intermittent, so these listening sessions were rare, but the collection of standards so captivated young Lucy that years before she ever learned to speak English, she began singing the tunes meticulously, mimicking the sounds and styles of the likes of Ella and Sarah Vaughan economic hardships eventually forced the family to immigrate to America in 2002 Yigazarian brought her passion for jazz to the states where she applied for and received a full scholarship to NJPAC's Jazz for Teens program and happily became part of the local jazz community after graduating college Lucy moved to New York City in 2015 to pursue a career as a singer. And in a few short years, she has won the respect and accolades of the elders at the epicenter of the jazz world. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Lucy Yegazarian. Hello, Lucy.
1: Hello, Craig. How
0: you doing? I'm quite well, thank you. And it's it's really great to have the opportunity to talk with you today and learn more about you and, and your music uh, making.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You bet. One of the first things that uh, came to my mind when learning more about you is your creativity. You not only sing, but you also draw and you also yeah. bake cookies.
1: <laughs> I do.
0: And, you know, and I love cookies. <laughs> uh, but what I'm really interested in, in in having you talk a bit about is the intersection of these creative endeavors and others that you may have, mm-hmm. uh, if you wish to share with, with, uh, with uh, us. And mm-hmm. then what common creative elements are present in each of these three activities and how they might complement each other.
1: Mm-hmm that's a loaded question but a good question because i do think um all art forms have similarities and uh, even though i haven't delved into you know the visual arts world as deeply as i have into music i see commonalities with with all of them i think all require you to have patience to uh, be determined. You know, it all takes a lot of practice. I don't believe in kind of spontaneous, just <laughs> things don't happen spontaneously. I think uh, good art making requires a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but more recently, and this is perhaps somewhat unrelated to your question, I've been thinking about how all creative activities require you to be somewhat detached from your daily cares and worries, and I have found that phones and social media and the internet have been detrimental to that. I think it's more and more Mm -hmm. difficult for people to have the kind of detachment um, and the solitude required to really create good art, because you need a moment where your brain is off, that it's not scrolling, just like your finger on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Uh, And I find that whether it's singing, whether it's drawing, whether it's baking, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, you need to be shut off from all of that for a moment to really do it well. Hmm. Um, in terms it, of how I
0: sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going <laughs> to say that that's a that's a very uh, common theme. I don't know if you're familiar with a book entitled The Inner Game of Music.
1: I've heard of this book. I have not read it, though. Well,
0: you know, and it basically the author says very much the same sort of thing, that we have two selves. We have our more conscious self, like you say, the day to day. And then there's our subconscious where all our great, juicy ideas are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in order in order for us to really dig into that, we have to shut down mm-hmm. that that noise, if mm-hmm. you will, Mm-hmm. And and I you know it's, a, it's intriguing to me how many uh, composers uh, or uh, singer songwriters uh, you know people creative people mm-hmm. I talk to that talk about that idea of needing to go to a quiet place a happy place a place where they they turn off the noise of the world
2: absolutely and we
0: also and we know of composers who. Who, you know, uh, I'm thinking, more. Uh, I saw a documentary not long ago about uh, Morton Lawrenson, who mm-hmm. uh, has a, uh, a little writing cabin up on an island somewhere off of Puget Sound in Washington State. Oh, wow. And that's, that's, that's where he was going. quite remote. Yeah. Well, That's you know, thorough
1: remote.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, Thoreau. Same idea. You're exactly right. You know, going to um, Riven Pond. But anyway, go ahead. It,
1: although that being said I don't (laughs) speaking of thorough I do think you need to be actively a part of the community and involved but you you also need to set a time because I don't believe in complete isolation either I don't Mm -hmm. think that necessarily creates anything that's um, communal you know if you're not aware of the zeitgeist whatever you're making will be somewhat detached and unrelatable and i don't believe in that either so i do think currently just for myself at least i i i have noticed a shift within this last decade or so because of social media specifically um that it really really does not help with this and i think a lot Mm -hmm. of younger people have trouble with it because at least and i know i'm not too old but at least for the first portion of my life, I didn't have any internet. And so that's helped me develop a system where I could operate well and sit down. And I, I have a, I'm comfortable with being alone and not having mm-hmm. the internet. But I think that's become more and more difficult for younger generations. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and also because I think social media today, <clears throat> especially uh, platforms like TikTok um are seeking to invade an artist's privacy and the audience is seeking exactly that they're not even necessarily Mm -hmm. looking for a performance they want to see you you know practice they want to see your practice process which I find really really disturbing because I've always thought that um a little bit of the magic when it comes to entertainment is never breaking that fourth wall you shouldn't Mm -hmm. let them in because when Mm -hmm. people come to see a show you know, I want to present the uh, completed product. And if you give away some of that before you showcase it, it just kind of takes some of the magic away. And it's invasive, and I don't like it. But it's such a huge and necessary part of the market today that, you know, even like labels I've worked with, I remember with an album I put out, Called in her words with a fellow friend of mine, Venetia Gould. Um, it did really well because they really pushed me to be much more social on social media, and it really mm-hmm. caught the attention of younger women in a way that I really, really didn't didn't expect. And it's and it has really resonated with people. So you know, it has its positives and negatives. But I personally absolutely detest it, <laughs> and yeah, I it's, don't it's think...
0: definitely it's definitely a double edged sword. I love the yeah. the point that you made. I have a a good friend of mine uh, who was our theater director at the university. And uh, when we used to do collaborations, we used to do a musical every summer. And Mm -hmm. I always loved the way that he would talk about how we create the magic in the theater. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't, we keep, keep our secrets, you know, Mm -hmm. and how we're doing things because we want the audience to think that it's Magic and and suspend their disbelief and get into yes. you know, what's there, but uh, you know I think you're absolutely right. I think the social media, whether it's it's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever, uh, does uh, or has uh, torn down a lot of privacy on how things are done. Mm-hmm. And I and I constantly I'm a I'm a trumpet <clears throat> player, and so of course you know trumpet players, you know we we're always seeking. Uh, how to play higher, faster, and louder. (laughs) That's our our holy trinity, right? And so all the discussions that I often see put up on the internet by um, students, but also professionals, is sharing the information. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then, you know, at what point do we have uh, reach a critical mass where we have a bunch of wannabes that are... You know, I don't know. I think there's just... I understand, yeah. You know, it it's, it's sort of like... It, it's interesting. I'm reading a book right now you know, on democracy. Okay. And democracy not as a governmental system, but go- democracy as a concept of communication. Mm-hmm. In other words, if in a democratic society, you everyone supposedly and theoretically has an equal voice, has an ability to express themselves Mm -hmm. um, and that freedom to do so. And yet I'm reading right now where I am is in the middle of the 19th century Mm -hmm. and uh, on the heels of the French Revolution, which... Came about uh, largely not only because of the dissatisfaction of the masses, but also because of increased publications, pamphlets, newspapers, mm-hmm. and things that criticized the aristocracy mm-hmm. and the and the uh, monarchy. Uh, but then, of course, that carries forth into the revolutions that occurred in Germany and Italy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and then eventually uh, uh, the revolution in Russia, and so on. But it's talked about how conservative elements versus liberal elements when when there's an increase in democracy conservative elements want to preserve that authoritarianism yes. and so then they institute nationalism and and uh this idea of rallying around uh your uh, uh the borders that are yes, drawn yes. on a map or your ethnicities yes. and things like that yes. so in other words it's like, we think of democracy as a good thing, uh, but, but it, it, has... it can have that opposite reaction.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I suppose that the internet, and now with artificial intelligence, there's good and bad that we can of expect from that as well.
1: Of course. So I think the trick is to, you know, uh, find your place in, in the middle somewhere
0: because
1: yeah. one has to do business because it's it's a business after all but you sure also have to make good art which is very different so uh, it's difficult to balance but you know the successful people are few but those are the ones that can balance the two worlds.
0: So I think one of the things, and I'd let you I'd like to hear your perspective. And this is not a question I submitted earlier. So if you're not comfortable answering it, that's fine. But I saw an interesting quote attributed to Herbie Hancock, where he was talking about how music today has changed in that audiences are more interested in having celebrities perform their music rather than necessarily great musicians. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to diss Taylor Swift, but, you know, she's a celebrity. Mm -hmm. I mean, anytime the Kansas city chiefs have played football on TV, (laughs) the cotton picking networks focus on her up there cheering. And I've been hearing
1: about this couple. Yeah. Oh Um. yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: And I think maybe that's similar in, you know, other aspects of the music world that uh you know celebrities will draw a track well, yeah I, but there's people who are equal or better musicians that not, won't necessarily
1: absolutely um and a lot of times uh the people that float to the top not to say that it's completely random but it yeah. is often not based on talent it's uh there's systems in place. And I think um, depending on the times and depending on the crew that's deciding, they'll just pick and choose whoever they want at that time. Um, uh, I think the bigger picture, whether we're talking about the music industry or any other industry today, um, I think this craving we have for um, icons Mm -hmm. is... um, you know maybe this is getting too philosophical or something that's but okay i think the absence of the growing absence of religion in modern society has created a vacuum where you need to replace that with some other sort of obsession or something you know ah. um and i do think a lot of people and and it's not necessarily a bad thing i mean you brought up taylor swift who sure i'm not a fan of hers musically either but you know, I was recently reading that Taylor Swift single handedly had more people register to vote in one yes. day than any other person. You know, so it's not necessarily a bad thing because sometimes that role is occupied by someone who's on the right path and will do exactly. things that are good. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do think that's a human tendency that's been present since the beginning of time that you need someone to idolize. And, um, and that's why celebrities have played such a huge role especially in the u.s because i think once we kind of gave up puritanism and pop culture then it was pop culture that became god you know we mm-hmm. like to worship our celebrities we really love our celebrities and we, we, we really to build them up and then br- break them down you we know?
0: truly have american idols <laughs>
1: yes absolutely, absolutely.
0: yes And then, and then you're absolutely right. We tear them down because once they become famous, then they show up on the cover of all of the tabloids.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I guess that's the fun bit because you can't really necessarily do that with God. You know, Uh, that's true. Yeah. um, to do that with a Greek god would have been blasphemy, but you can definitely do that with uh, Britney Spears. So sure, sure, it's just more can. fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you have it. I think you, I think you make a really interesting point, though, because there is that uh, correlation, uh, you know, that that exists, and in, not in, just in the United States, but worldwide, that decline mm-hmm. in in uh, religious affiliation, church mm-hmm. attendance, and and so forth. I mean, that's something I'm very aware of. Because uh, you know I read just like everyone else, and we tend to, uh, f- you know, put our uh, allegiances elsewhere. Um, I'm, uh, I mean, it, it's sort of like uh, I live in Wisconsin.
1: Okay. Wow.
0: Okay. And in Wisconsin, the Green Bay Packers are are sacrosanct. <laughs> they they really you are, do. you know, yeah. and and that sort of thing uh but i so i think there's something to what you're what you're saying well anyway let's get to uh your work uh your most recent album that i'm aware of is your two, 2023 recording lonely house
1: yeah would you talk about really uh want. yeah
0: talk about that album for a bit would you please
1: um yeah uh lonely house is uh a, a summation of I think, uh, music, a musical summation of whatever COVID felt like to me. Um, it was a strange time for all of us and I felt as we were getting out of it that I wanted to put out something that would be um, a little homage to that time. And I and I couldn't say that it's a happy album, it's quite sad. Um, but I think it encompasses all the strange feelings one had being stuck indoors and how at times even anonymous objects sort of started having a life of their own and you slowly started losing your mind and um, I think just given the atmosphere of general isolation I thought it would be a good idea to keep it minimal so it's just a duo album with myself singing and Michael Kanan on the piano who's you know such a sort of a historian on top of being a wonderful accompanist for a lot of vocalists you know he's worked with jimmy scott and has played with jane monheit for years and years and um so it was it was great we we met up kind of rarely whenever covid wasn't around to make sure no one was gonna die from a rehearsal but we built this uh repertoire of tunes that are kind of rare finds and often songs that I wouldn't sing otherwise. Probably a lot more theater material than the general standards I sing. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's, it's just a little sample of what those two, three years felt like to me.
0: Okay, so are there? Uh, did you write any original songs for that recording?
1: I did not.
0: Okay, so they're no. all okay. Yeah. So yeah, they're all like uh they in there
1: and Okay. Um, I guess all standards but kind of verging okay. more on the theater side.
0: Okay, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Well, yes, I I agree. I think uh when I listened to it, it is, you know, uh, I I shared those same uh kind of emotions because I remember going through all that too and just mm-hmm. day after day of not really being able to go anywhere and do anything and mm-hmm. uh you know, uh, so it was really a nice relief for me because when I have a guest, I listen not only to your latest stuff but your back catalog as well. And mm-hmm. I, you introduced me to a very wonderful song I was under uh, I, have, I had never heard of before that off of your uh, your your Blue Heaven album, is Sweet Pumpkin.
1: Oh, And I
0: thought after listening, after listening to your, your newest album and I, and I went back uh, to that and there, the lead off tune is this really nice tune Mm -hmm. that I thought is charming is just charming. And I had never heard of it. And I thought, Oh my, is this something that, you know, of course I, I, so I, I, you know, did a little reading up on it, found out, Oh no, it's been around a while. And, and, uh, but, uh, I, um, I just love you it
1: enjoyed it oh yeah but yes that... they're two very very different albums oh yeah album, oh yeah kind of oh, yeah. silly and full of love and giggles but yeah um uh yeah sweet pumpkin and not a lot of people play it but recently um a good friend of mine samara joy recorded it so it's become more oh. popular you hear more people singing okay. it. okay so.
0: well i liked it so much i'm actually arranging it for my wife and i to do we have a we have a duo yes. We have a duo called Brass and Ivory, mm-hmm. and um, I play trumpet and sing, and she plays piano.
1: I'm beautiful. And
0: uh, I don't sing great. I'm not a singer like <laughs> you are. I'm a trumpet player who sings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, but we're doing a special show in two weeks for Halloween, and I thought, oh, sweet pumpkin, That's that would be kind of a neat it's little tune.
1: Perfect. Yeah,
0: I it's said really it's not really a scary Halloween tune, but it'll be kind of a cute thing that we can mm-hmm. we can put in there. So. So uh, I thank you for introducing me to that tune. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well that's great. Um well I think a lot of artists uh you know express themselves <clears throat> about COVID in in a number of ways and uh I uh as I told told you before we we started the interview that that was the, my impetus for starting this podcast and uh but uh so we all have different ways of doing things but now that lonely house is out and about uh do you have any other recording projects coming up in the near future yeah either either of your own or with others
1: yeah um i did release another album in between but i specifically did not put it online and only okay. was making physical copies which was called some other spring and this was a recording that was made after a project I did with Houston uh, Houston person. So most of the repertoire is just tunes he's shown me along the way, even though it's Grant Stewart on the tenor um, on the Mm -hmm. album. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: again, going back to this idea of, you know, a world that exists offline, I kind of wanted to keep this album offline, but, uh, and it was on Bandcamp, but but I'm sold out currently. But for 2024? 24 is that the year coming up I've lost that's the next Um, year coming up so I recorded an album with Peter Bernstein and a fellow friend of mine Eric Zolan who I've worked with for a long time so it's two guitars and voice and it's called beside the golden door and it's a strange kind of an album because half the album is Armenian folk songs and the other half is jazz standards and the the entire idea behind the album was to present armenian music to an american audience in a context that was very clear without giving direct translations of any tunes because oftentimes i'll sing an armenian folk song during my sets and people are always like oh it was beautiful but what was it about Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i don't really think direct translations really get the a good gist of the song across right right and i have found that um although they're not often perfectly matching there's so many tunes in folk music and all kinds of folk music that are about the same things um and so i found these pairs so there so the entire album is just matching pairs of tunes of folk songs with american standards that are generally about the same thing So that you can listen to one and understand it and listen to another and not understand the words but you know get the feel for the music okay and uh i entitled it beside the golden door because the inscription on the statue of liberty you know the very famous poem give me your tired poor right we all know the beginning but it ends with something like i'll be standing here with the golden lamp beside the golden door Mhm, and uh, when I was writing a grant to get a the uh when I was writing a grant for this project uh I was talking about how for immigrants mm, very often you get to this you know proverbial golden door, mm-hmm. and your initial feeling is to walk through and completely forget your past and You know put your two feet through there and say i'm american and i'm nothing else Mm -hmm. Uh, but then throughout the years you realize you really can't walk through that door as an immigrant you're kind of just stuck by that door and you're both that the beauty in being american is really carrying your past and and your future as an american uh, and that you don't have to walk through the door And Mm. I've found that I'm still standing beside that door, you know, in Mm -hmm. a sense, because I feel very Armenian, but I also feel very American. And I don't think I can present it any more clearly than through my music, because I really love singing Armenian folk music, but I really Mm -hmm. also love singing jazz music. And I see a lot of correlation between the two genres. So this is sort of a representation of my path as an immigrant, as well as an introduction to Armenian music for an american audience Mm -hmm. and it was funded by chamber music america so oh
0: wonderful wonderful well i i think that's uh that's an interesting concept i'll look forward for when that uh, is available because uh uh oh you know i i i think none of us should forget where we come from
2: Mm -hmm.
0: because that is uh, part of who we who we are and uh uh, so I think that's a wonderful idea and we'll thank look forward to, look forward to hearing you. it.
1: I don't have an exact date, but it'll be before September of next year.
0: So. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's super. Door. Beside the golden door. We'll be yeah. looking for that. That's, that's yeah. great. Okay. I understand, uh, you sing a lot with Emmett Cohen.
1: I do. I have and, been uh, in the last couple of years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And are you engaged in other recording projects or other performing ensembles aside from Emmett?
1: Well, um, it, uh, to be honest, there's a few other bands that I work with as a side woman. Um, I work with Tim Warfield, usually around Christmas time. Okay. <laughs> We've been doing this show for a couple of years, and he's got an all-star band that he brings out to Chicago, and we do a week-long engagement there. Um, but I'm seven months pregnant, so I won't be ah, doing that this year. Gotcha. Um, uh
0: well congratulations. It,
1: thank you. But otherwise it's I'm I work mostly as as a leader, so it's usually okay. under my name. The bands are usually
0: under my name. Okay. All right. Well, you know, uh from your Facebook page and looking at it, I see that you and I have some friends in common. <laughs> Can you believe okay, that?
1: I haven't been on my Facebook page in in, in, in a long, long time.
0: Well, but... I I went I went because I you know I I always uh, I try to look up information about my guests and mm-hmm. and I found out we had a couple of uh, friends in common. One is uh
1: hopefully I brack
0: know. May who is a uh, who is a colleague of mine in grad school, and he teaches down in the Houston area. Okay. And then uh, the other is T.W. Sample, who's a keyboard player. He lives in Harlem.
1: Yeah, I know him in passing, but yeah. you know, it's like Facebook friends, are I—I I couldn't tell you. It's, I understand. Uh, it's just one of those. Well, it's
0: always a shot in the dark, anyway. In a, in a, you know, in in a, in the musical world, you know. Oh, do you know so-and-so? Well, mm-hmm. they're, they're a singer, too. How come you don't know all the singers? Yeah. In, yeah, like, I don't know all the trumpet players in the world either. But right. but uh, T.W. is a former student of mine and and works in New York. And I thought, well, I'll just ask Lucy if by chance no, she
2: knows him or has
0: worked with him. Well, you know, it's it was a shot. But
2: <laughs> anyway,
0: well, that's okay. Nothing to apologize for. It's a big, wonderful world and a lot of people in it. So. Uh, Uh, it's not always, but, uh, you know, you'd never know until you ask, well, let's switch gears. I always like to ask people their origin stories. And so what I'm curious to know, Lucy, is who or what turned the light on for you? What turned you on to music and becoming a musician?
1: Um, I grew up very poor in Armenia and I think, um, the reason behind starting music is really not as romantic as I think people would like to assume. My mother just needed a way to entertain four girls with no electricity. So it was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, it's night, put on the wood stove, and what are we going to do? You know, she she kind of knew a couple chords on the guitar, so She'd play that, and we'd sing along, and then she'd teach us songs, and then we'd make stuff up on our own.
0: And really, it was just
1: a way to keep us entertained for a long, long time. And it wasn't years until, uh, you know, she says a friend of hers came over the house and she heard us singing and the friend said, you know, this isn't normal, right, that your kids can sing like this. Those <laughs> kids can't sing like this. And it was the first time my mom thought, oh, okay, maybe this isn't normal, you know. Um, And, you know, during that time, I was also taking violin lessons. So I, I always had a good ear, both all of my sisters and I, we we all can, you know, sing in tune and keep time. Um, and when we immigrated to the States, you know, jazz, my dad was a fan of jazz music, and there were some recordings back home that I used to listen to. Later on, like after 95, electricity sort of started coming back on, so you could actually listen to stuff. Um... And uh, when we moved here, it was kind of the only familiar thing in America. And so I kind of stuck to it out of a sort of an insecure familiarity, not because Mm -hmm. I necessarily had it in mind to choose it as a career. Mm -hmm. And even in college, I started out as a jazz major, but dropped down. And then I I have a degree in world history. I didn't necessarily want to pursue this professionally, but... I fell into it because when I moved into New York, I just—I don't know—I started getting calls for like local gigs to cover for horn players a lot, and it ended up paying my rent. And I couldn't find a job with the history degree, so I was like, "All right, I guess I guess this is what I got to do." It wasn't—it wasn't an active choice um, Mm -hmm. because I'm not the most social person. I do fine in social settings. I can be very entertaining, and I do quite well on stage as far as, you know, getting a laugh or two or whatever, but I don't necessarily enjoy being around people. And I knew this about myself, which is why I was trying to avoid becoming a singer,
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: but it didn't work. And I think this is what I'm best at. And I've spent the most time working at it. So at this point, there's no going back.
0: (laughs) Well, it is interesting that, you know, how we tend to fall into things that we think we don't (laughs) want to do, but it's like, if the if the shoe fits you wear it you know that's right i uh, i i had a very similar kind of experience i uh, you know even though my degrees are in music education i avoided like the plague initially to becoming a uh secondary school band director Mm -hmm. and i even you know i went to university got a phd and all that with the idea of of you know, teaching at university, doing research and everything. But every time I kept turning around, I kept finding myself directing a, a band.
1: There you go. And, yes. Uh,
0: yes. and so I decided to, to quit fighting it and just go with it, you know. And that's mm-hmm. how I've spent uh, the majority of my career is as, a, as a band director and a, an a, uh, instructor at the uh, university level. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you just kind of have to go with that. Well, thinking back then over this musical career of yours, what have been some of your most memorable moments? What are some things that really stand out for you?
1: You know, I I had a, another interview recently, and they asked something similar. It's, it's almost never, like, big, big moments the way, you know, cinema would present it or something. It's Mm -hmm. always kind of silly, small things like, you know, I remember singing with Harold Mabern the first time I was really nervous. And when we finished the first tune and he was like, that was great. Do another one. And I was like, yes.
0: Oh, (laughs) good for you.
1: So it's just it's like little moments like that then or moments where instead of encouragement, someone you really respect gives you a big slap, (laughs) you know? And it makes you go home and practice. So yeah, um, it's like either either that. It's either it was either moments where I felt really defeated, yeah, or moments where I felt like okay, I did something right because this person that I admire and respect likes what I did. Yeah, uh, but it's never like you know these you know big applause on a stage and the crowd is going insane or at least for me, it's not, it's always Mm -hmm. these small, subtle moments. So,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, those are things that we, we, I mean, admittedly we enjoy, I mean, that's part of why we're performers. We love Mm -hmm. those applause. We love the approval Mm -hmm. of an audience, Mm -hmm. but I agree. I think, I think sometimes your most memorable experiences I know, like in my case have been about uh, my relationship with other people, either Mm -hmm. other people I'm playing with or, or, uh, uh, you know, talking with and they say things that just surprise the heck out of you in mm-hmm, terms of, mm-hmm. wow, I didn't realize you felt that way about me, you know, kind of, right. kind, of kind of thing. And so, yeah, that's really, really good. Yeah, we
1: all love flattery. I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, universal. we do. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's anyone there's some people who have a lot of, you know, false modesty, but I think it, down beneath it all, we all really like it.
2: That's right. Okay.
0: Well, then this is going to be a question that I especially think you'll be qualified to, to address because as an immigrant uh, uh, and someone who discovered, you know, jazz and so forth, you know, jazz comes in a lot of different flavors and a lot of different styles. And we have old styles that exist uh, right alongside newer styles. I mean, we have Dixieland jazz, we have avant-garde, we've got and everything in between. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective as a performer mm-hmm. what is the common thread that runs through all jazz music and then what makes jazz distinct from other styles of music
1: i mean it's black american music yes That's, you know regardless of what genre you're talking about i think um most of the best players are you know prime examples of Black American excellence. That's the common thread through it all. Okay. Um and what was your second question? Sorry. Well,
0: and what makes jazz distinct from other styles of music?
1: Um Uh you know, I couldn't tell you exactly what it is, but I can say that. There's other genres I like, you know, I like mm-hmm. classical music, and I like some newer music, and classic rock, and et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like while I've had phases with other genres of music, a lot of times when you go back to it when you're older, it sort of loses its luster. You know, I love Led Zeppelin, but I don't know if I love it as much as I loved it when I was 17. Yeah, I hear you. But that's just not true for good jazz music, it's like it just doesn't seem to lose its gravity. Mm-hmm. There's a depth to it that's uh, incomparable in other genres of music, and maybe it's the improvisational element of it, maybe it's uh, the rhythm or something. I I couldn't tell you exactly what it is, but I do do know that that's, for me, is the main difference is that I can always go back to it and it's always fresh and cool mm-hmm. regardless of how much time has passed and where you're at in your life good jazz music is just good and it is one of the few things that's timeless you know i think that's also an overused word these days like icon mm-hmm. but good jazz music is is really it's timeless
0: I, I it's gonna I, be
1: cool whenever you listen to it it doesn't matter
0: i I couldn't agree more. I think that there's a there's a certain insouciant elegance about jazz. you know it's it's cool, it's laid back it's it's got a groove that's you know undeniably uh you know infectious. Uh, you know, I used to describe to my students, uh, when I taught jazz history at the university, I said, you know, the jazz tradition might be that we have our feet firmly grounded in the past and that we play songs from 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, hundred years ago, Mm -hmm. but we're always reaching our hands. Our feet are firmly grounded in the past, but our hands are always reaching for something new for for the future Mm -hmm. to to be to take that older material and make it relevant to for today and Mm -hmm. uh i mean yeah, i mean it's like sweet pumpkin i mean that song was written Mm -hmm. in the 50s that was Mm -hmm. written probably written before either of us were born Mm -hmm. and yet it's got such a really cool lyric melody and groove to it that it's still cool
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know so Yeah. I think that's great. Okay. Well, Clark Terry, who's the great uh, trumpet and flugelhorn player once, uh, once said to me and a few other hundred people that were in the audience at a clinic that uh, with jazz, first you imitate, then you assimilate, then you innovate. Mm -hmm. So who has informed your style of singing and who has informed your vocal quality for your vocal instrument?
1: Um, <clears throat> definitely Ella. Okay. You know, I'm very heavily influenced by Ella. I think a lot of times she's overlooked because um, she's a happy singer,
2: you mm-hmm. know,
1: but I think it's really, really difficult to sing. Um, Full of joy and darkness, I think it's uh, not appreciated enough these days. I love Ella, I love Ella's phrasing, Ella for tone. You know, the obvious cho- choices are Ella, Sarah, Billy, but there's people like Etta Jones, and um, Maxine Sullivan, and Joe Williams, and mm-hmm. um. There's so many. There's so many, and you just kind of you listen through, and you, not call, pick out whatever you like, out of them. But I would say, in terms of like, the, the tone, um, or or the open sound that I like, there's a very obscure Armenian singer named Hayrik Muradian, um, who. Only sang traditional Armenian folk songs, and most of his recordings are just solo, just him singing, no accompaniment mm-hmm. at all. And in terms of like tone production, I think he's probably been more influential for me than anyone, which is strange because oftentimes I'll say it's dangerous to, you know, gather ammunition from outside the genre. But he just has such a nice, clean, open tone that. Mm-hmm. I think you can kind of apply it to any, any, any music, any singing style and it would work because it's mm-hmm. just, it's good singing. It doesn't matter. It, it has like, it has all the really wonderful things about that open sound of like middle Eastern singing that I love.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Uh. Well, I, I, you know i would uh not disagree with you i mean my development as a player i i play jazz but i also came up through uh, classical training mm-hmm. and so i think a lot of my tone and my uh approach to the the instrument uh the trumpet is as a classical player but of course the thing i love about playing jazz is i can then go from that and modify
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can
0: add I can add, you know, that growling in my throat or or a flutter in my tongue, you know, whatever can dirty up the sound, you know, mm-hmm. is a way that I put it. So I I don't think that uh there's anything lost on, you know, a good just classic quality of of sound. So mm-hmm. um okay, well I want to switch gears again. Um If you uh, were to run into a young person, and they were to ask you about uh, 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 anyway, they were aspiring towards a career as a performer in Mm -hmm. music. What kind of advice would you give them?
1: Um, what singer or just general?
0: Well, as a singer, or in general, either one. I mean, I know that you know, as performers. I mean, that's one aspect of our lives, and mm-hmm. there are certainly many, many other aspects of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, we, you have to take care of business there if you're going to yeah. take care of business with your performer. In other words, you, you've got to take care of your health and your well-being, or mm. else you're, you're not going to be taking care <laughs> of your business as a musician or a performer. Right. But, so if you want to speak to both of those, that would be great
1: i mean you bring up a good point that's um for example health and wellness is not something um, i think the music especially the jazz industry doesn't talk enough about it you know i'm in my 30s and only recently have realized the importance of you know moderation when it comes to drinking and smoking etc because i <laughs> Really enjoyed doing both for a very very long time, all throughout my twenties. And as a singer in New York, it can really, um, you know, have have a big negative effect on you and your sure. body. And and later on, reputation wise too. You know, are you on time? Are you saying crazy things to people you're working with? Are you responsible? Are you? Did you learn the material? Um, are you respectful? did you say some things you regret it because you had a a few too many you know Mm -hmm. there's so many aspects of it that i think a lot of younger people don't think about that only come into play later on once you've worked a bit and once you've made a couple mistakes you're like oh god i shouldn't have said that shouldn't have done that so that's a part of it but when it comes to the music and it really depends on what you're looking for i've never been my aim has never been to become a star. Mm-hmm. My aim has always been to make good music. And if you're looking to make good music, I think you should be principled. You should have an idea of the things you're willing to do and the things you're not willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it's helpful to sort of have this mental list of do's and don'ts before the question is asked mm-hmm. but because a lot of times, opportunities will arise that are tempting and in a state of confusion you might agree to things that you wouldn't otherwise so you know think about like what are my boundaries what am i willing to do Mm -hmm. what am i not willing to do um i think uh, especially as a woman there's a little bit more concern surrounding all that stuff as well um, hmm. so you just have to be you have to be careful especially when you're young there's a lot of people that try to pick you up when you're young and kind of mold you into whatever whatever they're trying to sell um, mm-hmm. and be patient with it be patient with it always work hard at it don't um don't let jealousy and envy get to you um, those who are more successful around you are probably most likely doing something you're not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, even if perhaps the music's not all there, there's there's something that they're doing that you're not. So always try to pick up things from people regardless of whether you like them or, or not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Don't, mm-hmm. Yeah, don't let jealousy and envy get in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't forget why you're doing it, which is because you enjoy making music.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? I love that. Yeah. Well, in, and I can speak from, you know, I have it easy now. I'm semi-retired, so I don't have to rely on my music making to make a living. Mm-hmm. So what's fun about that is I can go out and I can play anything I want.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In fact, I, <laughs> I have a group that's going to be going out tomorrow night. And uh, I call it the Box Lunch Jazz Band, B-A-C-H, apostrophe S, Box Lunch. Mm. And our specialty is to play music that's older than dirt. And <laughs> I, I will always tell our audience, well, here's another one you never heard of, you know, I by someone that. you never heard of, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, of course, because, uh, uh, so anyway, we do really, you know, I try to find old songs pre- Pre uh, 1920, if possible, and a few pre 1930, you know, and yeah. just have fun with them. And uh, uh, but I can, I could I have that luxury because I get a, I have a pension and social security. So <laughs> <laughs> well, for you.
1: But that's what I'm talking about. Just do well, whatever it is that you enjoy doing, without yep. worrying too much about it. You
0: know. You know, I used to tell my college students that the greatest con in the world is doing what you love to do and finding somebody who'll pay you to do it and if you can find somebody to pay you to do what you love to do you never work a day the rest of your life That's true. and i That's true. i feel very fortunate in, in that i had a career like that because i loved teaching i loved being in front of a classroom full of students mm-hmm. and feeling like i had them right in the palm of my hand and and then i would uh you know, I used to I used to always say, how many of you been here here have been to New Orleans before? And when none of them raised their hands, I'd say, OK, well, I guess I can tell you anything and you'll believe it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But I had a had a really great time with that.
1: That's wonderful.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that that's part of music. You know, we play music. We don't suffer mm-hmm. it. We don't toil it. <laughs> we don't slave at it. We play it. Yes.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: You know, so,
1: okay, before we move on, I do have to get going around one-ish.
0: Okay, so. not a problem. We'll start, we'll wrap things up then. That's fine. Um, i uh just curious to know, mm-hmm. what draws you to want to record a particular song, since you record a lot of standards?
1: Um... That's a good question. To be honest, I, I've almost never, it's almost never happened that I'll hear a song and then I immediately decide right there and then that I want to record it. Um, You know, I'm constantly learning tunes and then I'll sing it. And for whatever reason, you know, you keep singing it, you fall into some sort of a way of doing it. Um, It's like going shopping. Like, you might see something in the window you like, and then you put it on, and it happens to kind of fit your body in a way you didn't expect. Okay. I think tunes are like that. So whenever I encounter a song where I'm like, okay, for whatever reason, I, I think I sound good on this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'll record the tune. I mean, that being said, obviously, you know, I got to like it in the window. So, you know, it's it has a nice melody. It has a good lyric. Um, at times... You know, I think I either like something really dark or something kind of on the sillier, lighter end.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I hear you.
1: Just to keep uh, the two ends of the spectrum open. But if it has those, you know, it's like, it's well-written. It has nice lyrics. um, And I, and it suits me somehow by accident. Then I'll record it.
0: I, I, I love the way you describe that. Like you put it on like a, like a new P, you know, I'm that way with, uh, I have never been in love before from guys and dolls. The -hmm. first time I ever sang that I went, this fits, you Mm -hmm. know, and I love the way I can sing it and I love the way I can put it across the audience. So, yeah, I love the way you described that. That just opened up my head. Okay. (laughs) Two last questions. Number one, if I were to come to New York in the next few weeks, Mm -hmm. where might I find you performing?
1: well as i said i'm actually closing up shop
0: okay (laughs) because you're getting ready to have a baby Mm -hmm. yes
1: so i'll be off the stage for a bit i have one more big performance coming up at weymouth center in north carolina that's the last flight i got going on i have a show at chris's jazz cafe in philly and that's my absolute last show okay um uh, so you can't catch me really anytime soon. Okay. However, if you're in New York, you know, it, it really depends. Um, I just did a show at Dizzy's, a tribute to Shirley Horn. Okay. Um, so you could catch me at Dizzy's. You, it's it's so random. Honestly, the schedule tends to be very random. And if anyone's interested for the future, uh, LucyJazzNYC.com has my calendar. And that'll usually list uh where i'm at but really okay. it truly is so random and then like you know before disease i was with Emmett in idaho and then we were in pa somewhere and then before that i was doing a weekend at birdland so okay. it's very random depends on what time of the year it is just check the calendar
0: all right well, that's good to know because I might just show up sometime and oh, you you'll go. see me You're in your audience. To. So uh, yeah, well, Lucy, uh, I try to be as uh, complete as possible, but is there anything else that you would like to add or tell my audience I have not asked you about?
1: Um, I don't think so. I, I do think, uh, you know, more recently I've sort of decided that Um, I really want to play this or sing this music in a way that opens it up for younger people because on the rare occasion when there are younger people in the audience, I think they all seem so shocked after the show that they enjoyed it because there's this, you know, people think of jazz as a dusty old museum,
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's
1: kind of dead. And I can understand why a lot of times it's sort of presented like that, but I don't like to present it like that. Um, I don't think I've presented like that. I think it's very lively if you come to a live show and it's the people's music and the people like their music. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, um, it tells universal stories that are relatable regardless of your age or gender or race or whatever it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter um they're human stories and I like to accentuate that part I don't like art that is divisive I like art that is uniting and that's what I present and I hope to get more younger people young people into it because I think they like it I don't have to force them they just like like it
0: you know I when I taught jazz history I used to tell, you know, I'd have students say, "I don't like jazz." Oh yeah, well let's listen to some. And after we listen to it, they, they like, like it. it. Yeah, yes. because they have preconceived notions about Absolutely. about what it, that is. So Absolutely. anyway, well that's that's good. I think that's a great way to go. Well, Lucy, I I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today. Congratulations on uh, your upcoming uh, uh, birth. Uh, of thank your baby you. and, and I and I,
1: album and your new <laughs> both album babies,
0: babies yes. both babies but your your human baby I hope uh, is uh, <laughs> wonderful and healthy and vibrant and and thank brings you, you much uh, joy and uh, I also want to wish you all the best uh, with what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future
1: thank you Craig and thank you for having me it was a pleasure talking to you You bet. Hopefully I'll see you in New York or Wisconsin. Well,
0: very good. Yeah. Or if you get to Chicago and I can get down there, that'd be great.
1: All right. Maybe next Christmas.
0: Okay. Well, you take care now. Bye-bye. Thank
1: you very much. Have a good one.
0: My Discovery Composer of the Week is American Composer William Levi Dawson. Dawson was born September 23, 1899, in Anniston, Alabama. He died May 2, 1990, in Montgomery. He first heard African-American folk songs as a child in rural Alabama. At the age of 15, he left home to attend the Tuskegee Institute, where he studied the piano and composition, and participated in the band and choir, after his graduation, he moved to Kansas City, Missouri, where he played the trombone and local jazz ensembles and on the Red Path Chautauqua Circuit. During this period, he taught music at Kansas Vocational College in Topeka from nineteen twenty one to nineteen twenty two and Lincoln High School in Kansas City from nineteen twenty two to nineteen twenty seven, and obtained the Bachelor of Music degree from the Horner Institute of Fine Arts in Kansas City in nineteen twenty five. After moving to Chicago, where he played the bass with jazz performers such as Lewis and Lillian Armstrong, Johnny Dodds and Earl Hines, Dawson continued his studies at the Chicago Musical College, where his teachers included Felix Borowski and the American Conservatory of Music. He also played first trombone in the Chicago Civic Orchestra. Serving as the music director of Ebenezer Baptist Church, renewed his interest in African-American folk song and prompted him to begin publishing arrangements of spirituals. In 1931, Dawson returned to the Tuskegee Institute, where he taught until 1956. Under his direction, the Tuskegee Choir received international acclaim. He later toured internationally as a guest conductor, often performing his own arrangements of spirituals. Dawson was one of the two or three most significant African American composers of the first half of the 20th century. His musical language, however, is equally indebted to jazz and contemporary concert music. His best-known composition, the Negro Folk Song Symphony, written in 1934, revised in 1952, is one of a trio of symphonies based on folk idioms written by African American composers during the early 1930s. Along with the symphonies of William Grant Still and Florence Price, the Negro Folk song folk Symphony epitomizes the musical aspirations of Harlem Renaissance intellectuals. The symphony's three movements entitled The Bond of Africa, Hope in the Night, and Oh, Let Me Shine, clearly reflect Dawson's interest in black culture. His vocal music, particularly his arrangements of spirituals, have become permanent fixtures in the choral repertory. He is a member of the Music Educators Hall of Fame. His extensive papers are held at Emory University. The All Music Guide lists five recordings of Dawson's choral music, one recording of his The Negro Folk Symphony, and three recordings of his music for voice with accompaniment. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube video performance of Dawson's arrangement of Aina that good news performed by the St. Olaf choir conducted by Anton Armstrong. Well, that wraps episode number 165. My show notes along with links to artist websites, Recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists' performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing Knoxville, Tennessee-based jazz pianist, composer, arranger, band leader, and educator Margarita Fava. Other upcoming interviews include New York City and Los Angeles-based big band leader, composer, and arranger Danny Yonacucci, Michigan State University professor and jazz guitarist Randy Napoleon, singer-songwriter and one-man band Doug Albrechts, and super supreme drummer and professor at Berklee College of Music Billy Kilson so don't touch that dial if you have questions comments or a suggestion of an artist composer or musical style for me to consider you may email me at h u r s t c at uwm dot edu so until next time this is professor craig w hurst and carmel the wonder dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.